You're listening to Turn the Page, a bookish podcast bringing you new reading recommendations every month for fantasy, YA, LGBT and romance. In each episode, we'll be chatting about a new bookish topic and we'll be joined by authors and narrators to chat about their latest books and projects. Now over to our hosts, Kay and Sophie. Hello and welcome to the Turn the Page podcast. I'm Kay and I'm here with Sophie. Hi Sophie. Hi. Today we are at the NYA Lit Fest in Preston, the Northern Young Adult Literary Festival. Um, it's really great so far. We've already um, seen the craft panel, uh, which was chaired by Jennifer Lane, and she was interviewing Finbar Hawkins, Shannon Smart, and Mary Watson all about um, witchcraft and magical YA, and that was really good. Did you enjoy that? I did. I did. It was very, very insightful. Yeah, uh, very good. I think Shannon Smart kind of stole the show. She was really funny. Um, and, and I think, you know, she, she just really, really made me want to read Witches Steeped in Gold. Um, but we'll, we've got some more of that coming up later. Um, we've bought loads of books already. Um, we've spent all of our budget. I have. <laughs> There's loads here. We've got pin badges and bookmarks and lots of cool things. This is the craft panel. Um, we'll be looking at feminism, female nature and sisterhood. So thank you very much for being here. I'm very excited to announce our, uh, to introduce our panel of authors. So first we have uh, Mary Watson. Uh, Mary has an MA in creative writing and in 2006 she won the Kane Prize for African Literature, African Writing. Um, she is from, well she lives in Galway and so she will be heading off straight after the event um, to get a plane back there so she will be signing books straight after the event. Um, and her first, um, her third book for young adults, Blood to Poison, is out now. Finbar Hawkins, uh, he has an MA in writing for young people and is creative director <coughs> of Argument Animation in Bristol. He lives in Wiltshire and has a particular interest in local myth and folklore, which you can see in his first book for young adults, which is called Witch. And then we have Shannon Smart, and she grew up in a small town in the southeast of England, where she develops a huge love of wily, rebellious, um, unpredictable heroines, which we can see in her debut novel, which is steeped in gold. So thank you very much for being here with me today. Um, so I want to get started talking about witchcraft, and over the past few years we've seen a real resurgence in witchcraft, information on spellcraft, um, folk practices, and other and so using the power of nature to enhance our magical workings is now readily available online. People take origin courses to look for their own herbs to use in potions, and many people, some here today, and myself included, label themselves as a witch. This is really translated into your gallant literature, um, particularly in female characters over the past few years, um, where we've seen them either using magic to save the day or to take revenge. Uh, today I wanted to discuss with our authors just why and how witchcraft has become so closely linked with female empowerment and what that means for our modern society. Um, in all our authors' books, the main characters possess magic, identify as witches, and use their powers to bring about change. So I'll open this question up to everybody, first of all. Um, why do you think young adult literature has seen this resurgence of witchcraft? Um, I think it's a good question. Um, I think there's, from my my sense of it, is that um, young people, when you're growing up, you're going through a change. Um, you're going from childhood to 
to an adult. Um, so you're, you're, you're entering, transitioning these worlds um, and navigating them. And I think perhaps what's going on, um, perhaps in terms of witchery being sent to the magical world, maybe give some of the context for that change. Um, there's, we're all dealing with characters who, who are having to, to you know, define their magical selves. Um, and how they how they root that, I think, and how they how they take that forward. And perhaps there's some commonality with uh, with that with that sense that when you're when you're a teenager, you're going through and so you're trying to find themselves of life. You know, it's that kind of sense. Perhaps that's that's what my take on it. Excellent. I know there are other two authors. I think it's almost a little bit magical, the resurgence of witches. I don't know, um, I sold Witches Teaching Gold in 2018, and I haven't sort of tried to predict trends or um, write a story that I thought would um, appeal to publishing. Um, and then lots of books were announced, and they were all about witches. So it was kind of a little bit of kismet, uh, something, something working in this sort of, I don't know, some kind of magic was afoot. With, with the resurgence of, of magical books and witches at their core, and I love that um, they've become sort of synonymous with rebellion and um, being in charge of your own fate, and also vulnerability, because I think the Wild Bell is the strong female protagonist in YA, and now it's sort of moved into a more realistic space, or as realistic as you can get with, with magic and fantasy worlds that we, most, for the most part, make up. Um, but but I, I love it, I think it's sort of fate that has um, played a hand in what's happened, which is sort of typical, isn't it? Right, to have to beliefs and fictional and stuff. In Blood to Poison, there's a line um, in the book where an older character would spend a lot of time travelling around the world, going to different places, and finding witches in different communities. It says to the main character, Savannah, you know, one thing something similar to the not to remember exactly the, the, the right line, but she says something. One thing I've noticed is that wherever I've gone, there's always witches. And I think that, you know, when I was writing that line, I was thinking how true it is that there is this sense of magic and witchcraft that has been there throughout the ages and across the world and in so many different places and in so many different contexts, and it's just always been there. And if I think about myself as a 17-year-old and this desire that I had for magic, a connection to nature, a connection to rhythms and the patterns of the natural world and trying to find my own way of communing with that. And there's a sort of sense that I've always had of what I call the witch inside. And, you know, we all go off and get distracted, distracted by life. There's, you know, jobs and babies or whatever it is that you've got to do with your day-to-day -day life, but inside there is always that which inside that sort of spirit of wildness that is there. And I think, you know, if you think about witchcraft, often it comes, it comes to a head in tumultuous times when, when there's a lot of turmoil in the world. If we look back at the last few years at how bonkers it's been, um, just in a political way and social, cultural way, social way, um, I think it is, makes a lot of sense and there is that resurgence to that rich inside at a time when the world has gone absolutely mad. It's a pushback, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I was struck by that line yeah. about the, 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 the witches everywhere on the characters. Yeah, wherever you go, there's witches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, they have always been, 
Yeah. They are, and they always will be. I think that that sense of it. Like, Enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Again, it's all yours. It's yeah. Really important. It's interesting what you say about that turmoil in your because a lot of your characters, the main characters in the book, they're experiencing a lot of anger, resentment, that bitterness, and wanting to make a change. Um, do you feel like they're justified in their feelings? Um, yes, anger, and being being young, and I think I think yes, certainly. The main character of my book, Evie, um, her mum is, is murdered by witch hunters. Um, that makes me pretty angry. Um, and she's she wants to do something about that, so she goes on this journey. Um, but Andrew can also make you good. Um, and so in, in that sense, that I think once the anger is clear, once that kind of blood rage has, has you know, she's got to, she's navigated that, Ultimately, it's about it's about her relationship with her sister, and that kind of sense bringing her bringing her back that you can't just subsist on anger alone. You may need to be able to um, you need to be able to, to deal with it in life, and it's going you're going to get rid of mess at times, but you also need to be able to recognise what it does for people, um, how it can affect your friends and family, um, and so there's that kind of reflective mirror aspect to it. You know, what you give out and the rage is going to come back to you. Um, but it's yeah, it's interesting. We're all we're all talking about it. We're dealing with anger in our books. Yeah. Mary, your main character Savannah, she is dealing with this ancestral curse that's plagued women of her family for centuries, and so she's going through her own healing journey to um, to remove this curse. And do you feel like that's something that young people, young feminists, can relate to today? I think so. Well, I hope so. Um, I think Savannah, in, in the story, Savannah is cursed to die young, and it's a curse that was uh, made by her enslaved ancestor centuries ago, um, but inadvertently backfired um, and has affected Savannah as well. Um, and the side effect of the curse is that in the last months before they die, the women, if strikes one woman every, every generation, they, they find themselves. Um, um, furious, basically uncontrollable rage that causes through them. Um, and Anna was a really important part of writing the book. So thinking through anger, thinking through the benefits of anger, the limitations of anger, what how can we use anger? How can it be useful? How can it um, help us? How can it achieve things? But how can we do all of this without burning everything down? How can we do this without um, corroding ourselves on the inside? Because I think if anybody holds too much anger in them is going to find themselves possibly facing some kind of mental internal damage as well. So a lot of what is doing with the book is actually just thinking through anger, playing through the idea of anger, um, and thinking through justified anger about how there is so much to be angry about. There really is. And what 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 can we do with that anger? How can we use it? How can we make it um, make the world all better, and I don't think we can make the world better, but how can we use it to control our responses to the world? How can we use it to, to find ourselves in a better place, I suppose? Mm, yeah, and I think you know, women are harboring a lot of that anger as a result of the world that we're living in today. Um, I wanted to pass on to, to Shannon because I think that a lot of what you're talking about is that um, you know, female empowerment, that um, matrilineal line, passing magic from one mother to daughter. I suppose, how did it feel like living in this society? How did it feel to write about 
young, empowered, um, powerful women. So the world in witches was inspired in part by my own family. So um, witches even though is a Jamaican-inspired fantasy, and the witch maker itself is patriarchal. Um, the women are at the core of the family. So um, my aunt, she very much so was the glue that kept all of her siblings together, all of the cousins and the nieces and the nephews, and my grandmother and my mother. So for me, it was it was all I knew, really. It was living in a patriarchal world, but understanding that in my family, at least, the women had the real power. Um, so there was no way I was going to write anything um, uh, contrary to that fact for me. And it was a lot of fun to give these women power and influence in the world, and then also to explore um, how they would look as villains. So I, I love good villain, I love good female villain. Um, so I like the idea of, of relatable anger. So um, I read a quote a while ago that the best villains, um, they, they believe in what they're doing, and you um, as a reader will almost want to root them as well. So anger as a theme in witches is, is carried in all of the characters, and really it's, it's, it's justified. So if you're rooting for the villain or you're rooting for um, one of the protagonists, um, reticent to call them heroes because they are all, they're all quite grey in the, in the story, that's entirely up to you. It's sort of what, what vibe um, are you rocking the most with? And I love that so much, that um, the idea that anger is layered. Um, and I love the point beyond anger where you're so furious that it sort of boils down to this really clear focus. You're not angry, but you're also really alert and aware. And so I love just exploring the depths of that emotion in which is teaching gold and um, definitely using women to articulate this. I think, especially as um, as women, sort of, there's this idea that you're emotional and you're sort of a little bit hysterical. So I love giving characters this anger and showing that, you know, it's not all about those negative stereotypes. There can also be good things that are born from allowing yourself to feel upset and, and exploring that, that side of yourself and not listening to a society that tells you to, to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And did you, I mean, did you all feel that you were writing these books um, with a view to empower the audience, to empower young women and men, um, what's the particularly women because of that her historical interest in witchcraft? Yeah, I said it was a big thing for me. Um, uh, I, I have a teenage daughter. Um, I have a young sister. Um, I grew up with a you know, strong, inspiring mum. Um, I've seen them, you know, navigate male-dominated environments, whether it be work, and those are the things, those issues they come up against. I can see my teenage daughter about to enter that world. You know, she's about to say she's not far off from college, and there'll be moments when I will be able to protect her. Um, and I think the things that I see in society that are still unfair, about that, that we haven't at all solved, um, and the things, the things that still occur, um, uh, that we can't seem to get past that. And it's very tiring. And I'm not a woman. Um, and I'm looking at it from that point of view. When are we going to get past this? How is this going to ever change? Um, and I think that was very powerful for me in writing, which that I really wanted to put that in as a central thrust to it. So much so that 
um, with Evie encounters another character, Anne, who's completely different type of tracks to her, has come from a you know a rich landed family, um, and it's important to me that they find each other in that in, in sense, and they there's a kind of I, it almost came out kind of natural, almost like a film in the weeds aspect to that, that they they join forces essentially, and they there's things that happen to Anne that have, that she has her issues that she's working through. But it hasn't the same kind of powerful rage as Evie. If anything, it's a kind of, you know, kind of earths her a bit more. Um, and I knew that you know, this kind of thing, historic is not historically accurate. You know, that Evie's coming from, you know, almost kind of a beggar estate. You know, she's running around in ragged clothes and bare feet, and her sister, that kind of setup. And you're meeting somebody along the way that is suddenly, you know, their worlds collide. I thought, sod it. You know, it's my book. Um, and I want to make this a clarion call. You know, I want it's a, it is a fantasy in that sense. Yeah, it's set in the Civil War period or two, the Civil War, so you do all that kind of peer research. And, but when I got to that point, I thought, right, I'm just going to go for it here. Because, because I enjoy these characters and I want them to have that, come on, you know, against meritocracy, essentially. The, the women that died in witch trials didn't have that chance. Um, and we don't know what their names. You can read all these kind of historical books, and, and I did a lot of research on it. Um, we know the names of people like Matthew Hopkins. You know, of course, we know the names of the men, um, but we don't know enough about the women that died in their situations. These were healers. These were people that were perhaps deprived of their situation of having the thing pointed at them. So it's about their empowerment as well. It was very much like. That's the power of a book in the sense you don't have to be particular to what happened. This, this is not a faithful description of what happened in society. You know, solve that. This is about um, what I want to write about, and I want to write about the impact of these female characters. Yeah, and I read a stat saying that I think about 2,500 women were killed in witch trials in the UK alone, yeah. and then it's thousands across Europe. I mean, that was very much specifically about women. Yes. Um, at the same time, interestingly, there were also women's trials going yes. on, um, which were aimed at men, yes. yeah, heretical men. Yeah. Um, but I suppose to go back to that time period, was there a particular reason you chose to, to look at the 1600s, 17th century, um, to talk about witches rather than modern day? Um, well, it came by happenstance, really, because it was an exercise that set at the MA, it's pretty much simple. I had, I had a brief and a deadline, <laughs> we will know what that's like. And you go, oh my god, what the book is in by next week, what are we going to write about? Um, so, the, and brief was write something in a historical setting, it didn't have an age, three things like that. So, you know, I went out for a walk and started talking about it. But my mum had always nagged me about the Penguin Charles and said, you need to write something about this. It was you know, kind of witchy in herself, but, you know, ended up actually writing that book that, you know, an homage to, to her in a sense that. So I started thinking about that to literally clawing for an idea. And I'm thinking, well, the witch trials are so impactful and they're still part of that landscape. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But I didn't really want to, I live in Wiltshire and I wanted to write about where I can get inspiration every day and, 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 and research. So I thought, well, I want to set it here. And I guess the inspiration was thinking, well, I'm writing to young people. What would it be like if you were a young person in their teenage years and you, all you've known? you have grown up in that witching way. That's your family, that was your mother, that was your, your sister. And, and yes, at the same time, because you're a teenage person, you're pressing against that world. 
in that you're trying to find yourself. So you're, you know, there's a tension there. Um, and as you're dealing with that tension, what if suddenly, you know, the, something comes in and smashes it in the form of witch hunters, uh, a male-driven situation? What would you do? You know, how would you, how would you cope with that? How would you, um, how would you move forward? How would you learn? How would you grow? Against um, the backdrop of this very uh, brutal period in, in history. I mean, you can keep reading around it. There's a lot of books about the Civil War, and a lot of books about the witch trials and lots of things. Um, and it was, it, it was also interesting for me once I worked out that during the Civil War, um, everything just crashed. So, you know, had a society which up to that point was all about the king being put there by God, and then suddenly you're knocking against that situation. We don't really have a context for it now. So the fact that he took his head off is incredible. And that moment of, there's a book by Chris Hill called The World Turned Upside Down, which is a really powerful book about the, the kind of fanaticism that occurred during the Civil War. Because all systems broke. That meant law and order broke. That meant there was no judge system. And it effectively meant that fanatics, uh, people that could take the situation to their own, law in their own hands, like Matthew Hopkins, could just invent the wheel again and use also the kind of what was going on then. Puritanism was, was, was obviously the religion of the time and it, it, it led to a lot of damage. So, in that sense, to go back to what you're saying, your long winded answer, but the, um, it enabled me to go, well, okay, this is, a, this is the perfect situation to look at because the world itself is completely. You know, flattened. So again, what would you do with a young person trying to restart, trying to reboot yourself? That's it. That's it. Yeah, there's too much. Yeah, I've got to move a lot of my um, Civil War books on. I'm going to the, the, the bookshelves are growing. Um, we're saying that your book is set in the in modern day, um, and we, we see witchcraft as living sort of side by side with with the modern world. You know, we have. Uh, all our modern conveniences that have this ancient witchcraft um, elements sort of at, at the base of it all. Um, kind of what were your experiences and, and what led you to write about witchcraft in this way? Um, okay, so I just wanted to go at you earlier question, I'm really sorry about the about the Harmon question and, and just briefly to say that when what I wanted to do with with Blood Poison was to carry this um, have fun. I wanted a book that I wanted to essentially write something that brought pleasure to people, um, that that was enjoyable, that you could sit down, read, open up the cover, and escape into a story, go on a wild magical ride. And I think that for me, one of the biggest single biggest privileges about being a writer is making people feel something. And if I have ever sat made anybody feel anything in the reading, that is that is just that brings me so much joy because that is. That is the whole heart of what I want to do with writing, is to make people feel. And everything else beyond that is secondary. So, yeah, surely, when I got started in writing the book, I ended up realizing that I packed a whole lot of heavy stuff into the foundations of the book, um, you know, vertically. I mean, setting the book in South Africa in itself is inevitably going to be political because of the politics of the country and the legacy of, of colonialism, uh, slavery, the party, all of those things are there, and I couldn't ignore it. So, those are all there, and I tried to 
balance that with their sensitivity and um, responsibility. So it's a, it was in that way it's quite a hard book to write. But about the um, magic in the everyday, um, one of the nice things about, one of the things that I love about South Africa is that sense um, of magic of adjusting alongside the real. So you 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 could find um, stories of magic, stories of witch doctors, stories of um, people um, looking for um, um, treatments, cures for, for curses, because these things actually happen. Yeah, it's not necessarily every day all the time out in the open, but it is there. There is a sense of magic. Um, in the author's note to the book, I write about a family curse in my own family, which inspired the book. And it was um, about my aunt who died very tragically when she was 21 years old. And I, she died before I was even born, but she had this ring that we all believe was cursed. And if you want to know more about that, you can read forward to the book. But um, I, the point I want to make there is that the idea of curse was absolutely normal. Like my grandmother, my mother, my aunt, who were all these very proper church-going ladies on one hand, would have the sense of magic and of superstition and of the <coughs> other world that might be present in this world. And that's how I was brought up, and that's how I was, you know, raised to see the world. And it's very much an intrinsic part of who I am now. Yes, you grew up with that, so which kind of the Yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't the main narrative, but it was the, the undercurrent of how we experienced things. Yeah. And I know, Shannon, you have a very, um, your, the world that you've created is high fantasy, um, and so that magic element is very immersive, like it's on, you know, it's on every page, the, the system is really intricate and beautiful. I just wanted to, like, what were your experiences about why you choose to write about magic in that way? My experience growing up was different to yours, Mary. Um, I remember um, a friend made me some business cards. I was 11, so I don't know if I've seen the business cards. And um, <laughs> they had like, little sparkles on them. And my aunt was visiting from Jamaica. And she was like, you have to burn that like it's, it's bad, it's like it's not good. And in what I love about um, Jamaica is that um, so the magic system in my book is loosely inspired by phobia, which is this very taboo system for various reasons. Um, and what I love is that it's still in practice today. Um, but it's a very it's a very taboo subject. So you don't just say, oh, I'm just going to pop and see the Ethiopian woman down the street. It's sort of like, a, hey, I want to get this job, and I don't really like the other person who's going for this job. Can you help me out? Um, and this is a conversation that my mum was having. So my mum was born in Jamaica. This is a conversation she was having with a friend that uh, she'd gone for this job, and she didn't get it, and the other person she thought had got an obia woman to um, to put like a, a curse on her. So I grew up in England, and I loved Sabrina the Teenage Witch, absolutely obsessed. I got the magazine subscription, I had like a little toy final one, um, and I went to Jamaica when I was 11 and learned that we also had witches, and I was like, well, I didn't hear about this growing up. So I conducted all of this research and I learned that obia was considered taboo because the slaves who were brought over from what was called the Gold Coast were, they practiced it and they were um, rebellious, they were reticent to um, be subjugated to slavery. Oh, how dare they? Um, so I loved that it was considered taboo by the colonizers, but for those who practiced it, it would have been a form of freedom and resistance rebellion. So I drew on the idea of perception versus reality um, to help me inform this magic system. So, I mean, thank you for saying that it was 
in there, so I guess, oh my god, they might have had this, I had to do to get that magic system. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I wanted it to come across as something quite taboo and dark on the surface, but um, have this undercurrent of positivity and resistance and rebellion. So you have these two um, magical roots in which you seem to go. You've got the Ovia and the Alumbra. And Alumbra is sort of my pigeon Spanish for light, and Ovia is associated with darkness. But when you um, read the book and get to know the characters, the Alumbra aren't necessarily these, um, these bastions of good, and the Ovia aren't purely evil. So I liked taking what I learned about the history of the island and, um, and using it to inform how magic was practiced and the rules of the, of the magic system. On a craft level, um, I love Brandon Sanderson. He has um, the laws of magic and he sort of goes into like, sort of soft and hard magic and how you can inform a system. And that helped me to sort of on a technical level um, take these very um, these sort of stories that I, I heard later in life and, and translate them into into the into the story I was writing. But really, it was just perception versus reality and having a lot of fun with. Ovia is the baddies, but are they really the baddies? And Alumbra is the good guys, are they really the good guys? Um, so yeah, very confusing for me when I was drafting it, but, um, but I think it turned out okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I suppose if you're talking about that, you know, good and evil, like grey area, I suppose um, open this question to all of you, but do you feel like um, a witchy character, they, they have to be rebellious, or do you think they can exist within the status quo? Um, I don't think they have to be rebellious. I don't think, I mean, I, I think that, that my story just went the way it did. You know, something has to happen to these characters and, um, and they, they get kind of bombarded by obstacles. Um, but also I think that I, I, I wanted to write about the fact that, that you know, Evie finds her magical self and that isn't, isn't about darkness, that's ultimately about love. Um, and you know, witches are my perception of them are being strongly connected to the land, with nature, with animals, and that is the kind of the light aspect of it. Um, so, and that doesn't necessarily have to play out in a rebellious aspect at all. So that's that's how I think about it. Mm -hmm. Do they have to be rebellious? No, but I do think that you sort of run the the risk of becoming labelled as rebellious if you divert from the status quo. Um, but then I also think there's danger in rigidly adhering to rules in any society. But it's a fun space to, to work in and to have your characters be rebellious. I'm very saying, I wrote Richards for myself. Um, and you, you draft a lot. Well, I'll do it anyway. I mean, I don't know if anyone else is fortunate. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're all drafting lots <laughs> and spending a lot of time in this world rewriting and whatever else. So I wanted to amuse myself when I was writing. And I'm, um, when I was a student, uh, I could have behaved a little bit better in some instances. But I, I, I just like, I was a teacher as well, so I got it back. I enjoyed, I enjoy a sort of a, a naughty kid. I like someone who has personality, someone who is um, not afraid to to sort of whisper past a class or whatever, uh, within reason. Um, 
So I, I, that's just what I enjoy reading about, writing about. So I don't think they need to be rebellious, but I think it's definitely fun writing and reading about rebellious characters that break some rules, yeah. start some fires, kill some
Amazing. And I suppose with, with your other authors as well, like what message of empowerment did you want to impart to the reader when you were writing?
we've all kind of grown up with an interest in, I think you're interested naturally in supernatural and folklore and legends and, and myths, and, which I certainly have been, um, will continue to be, I mean, until somebody drags my bloody fingers from the page, I'll always be writing about it. Um, and I was saying to Mary earlier that, you know, you know, writers write about the same things all the time, so, which is good, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of necessary, these kind of stories that are part of us. Um, and I come from an Irish family, it's just always storytelling, and, um, and, and a lot of ghost stories, and a lot of myths and legends, you grow up with it, and you sometimes get very scared by it, you, you wake up and come downstairs, you know that story you told me about you and mum, and then you saw the ghost, and, um, and that goes in there, uh, it becomes part of you as a writer, so that we channel the stories that are part of us. So I think that's the thing you could have put in the same way that you're saying that you wrote that book for yourself and that I don't think you can have a better affirmation of a, of a, of a writer really. You have to. If you write for the market, <coughs> it's never going to really work um, uh, because you don't have passion there. You have to write from something that's deep-seated in you that's going to carry you through successive redrafts and moments of doubt and all of those elements that get thrown into a writer because it from anybody, it's not easy, but at the same time, it's incredibly, um, incredibly powerful and, um, and compelling, and that's why you do it. So, I think if you want to write about those two things, go out into the world, explore it, read about it, walk the fields, be in the woods, bring it back to the page. I suppose what what. Okay, just specifically answer your advice, a question in terms of advice to those particularly who are interested in, 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 in magic. Um, is that writing itself is a kind of magic, it is quite literally stunning. You, and when you're writing that book and creating a whole new world, you're drawing on what is inside yourself and um, staying true to that internal impulse instead of staying true, true to that um, connection to yourself, to nature, or wherever you find that, that sense of magic. Um, is really important because one of the things that I've been thinking about quite a lot lately is the relationship between um, art and commerce. Because when you make writing as your career, you're basically putting your art up there as a product, and that is a whole big area of complicated stuff that I'm not going to be going to talk about here. But when you have a true impulse in your writing, when you're writing in a place that's true to yourself, true to your soul, um, your spiritual beliefs, it, 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 it is so protective. It, 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 it maintains the integrity of what you're doing in a really powerful way. And, and that is the single biggest thing that protects you when you're going out into the world sharing your work with other people. Um, <laughs> um, I would just say, right, we want, we want question about witches and our stories are all vastly different. So you have an insight and an experience that you have will inform your writing, just trust that. Um, don't sort of be pushed off, well there's already books about witches, or there's already books about whatever. Um, <coughs> trust your experience. Um, Sorry. <laughs> that was a very good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe just scrap it. <laughs> <laughs> those were wonderful pieces of advice from the Thank you.
you know, how she internalised her jealousy and how that came out in kind of uh, making her do bad things. Um, and I think in that sense that if you can start to logicise the, the bad, um, and that you can start, I think whoever made the point about the, you know, understanding your antagonist and their kind of motivations, and well, that's, that's really powerful because they're not just, you want to root for them in, in one sense. To do that, in one sense, is a really interesting journey, I think, to make the character. Does that kind of give you a... Yeah, yeah, thank you. Okay. It's like, oh my god, I'm going to get a submit. It's like, it's ready now, it's ready now. And 
I think the good, more, I, in retrospect, and I know how retrospect to look back and think, she knew where the bodies were buried, you know, not <laughs> even in the sense that she knew there were problems, and I knew that deep down as well. Um, so, and then you submit, and then you're in this process with an editor. Um, and then it's like, actually, again, the power of retrospect for me is like, wow, you've got somebody else, it's not just on you, that is working with your input, right? So that you sometimes, you might have tension about that, but ultimately it's not about you, it's about making this, this book as good as you can possibly be, and you need to have distance from that. Um, and and recognise that the editor is just trying to make that story you know, really fly. So, I think it, there are different people along that journey, but most of you in terms of you think, when is this ready to submit to an agent mode? Uh, uh, I would never submit a first, I've got to get a first draft go, right? Because I would let it bake for a bit, get some feedback, um, and you will know instinctively whether it's right or not. Yeah, can I just add, um, I wear sort of different hats when I'm drafting, Next up, we've got the World We Live In panel, which is with Simon James Green, uh, Sita Brahmakari, and Cynthia So, and that's chaired by Kate Weston. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Um, and then I'm just thinking, who else have we got? We've got signings as well coming up. We've got George Lester, all the authors I've already mentioned, Tamsin Winter, um, Kessia Lupo, Catherine and Elizabeth Court, and we've got another panel later, which is the fight for what's right. So there's lots going on here today. What's been your favourite thing so far? Uh, I'd say the panel talks. Um, I'm really enjoying those. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to the thrills and chills one, especially with Naomi Gibson, because um, I bought one of her books, which I also need to get signed. Yes, yeah. Everything's really fun and everybody's really friendly. Everything's really nice to get to and like laid out and like there's just so much stuff to buy. <laughs> I think that's my biggest problem today is I want to buy everything. Um, have you spent all of your budget so far? No, I've been quite good up to yet. Um, up to yet. Up to yet. <laughs> the next half an hour may be quite dangerous. Yes. And there's lots of pretty pin badges as well. There are lots of pretty pin badges and we will do sort of like a... Instagram thing where we're going to show everything off yeah. at some point as well so look out for that but yeah we're going to get some lunch now and then head to the next panel and then we'll catch up with you later um, Hi I'm Kate Weston um, this is our panel about the way we live now um, and on the panel today um, we're going to go from that end coming towards some stuff yeah. it's quite cosy isn't it um, so I'm going to start with, this is Simon James Green. Simon's pronouns are he, him. Simon is an award-winning author of books for children and young adults. His YA novels include 
Noah Carnegie-Even, picked by W.H. Smith as one of the most important LGBT books in the last 50 years. Noah Could Never. Alice in Wonderland, nominated for the Carnegie Medal and selected as one of the top 20 LGBT books of 2019 by Attitude. Heartbreak Boys, and you're the one that I want, winner of the Bristol Teen Book Award. His new novel, Gay Club, was published earlier this month and is excellent. <laughs>
and it's a journal that spans his time from nursery and his close bonded friends until sixth form, where he's just about to kind of fly out into the world. Um, Kai and his family suffer a great trauma in the middle of this book. It's a story about how the safety nets of society are not there for some young people and the tragedy of that, but it's also a story about getting through. It's set on a wreck. It could be in any city, anywhere in the world. Kai begins his journey by saying, this is about me, mine, and I, and then he discovers that he can't tell this story alone, and so it gets taken over by his, friend, his first love, Paula, and his friend, Omid, who arrives in year eight at school, um, who's a Syrian refugee survivor. And at that time, Omid has not come into the English language in a field way yet, but he is an artist. So the book works in poetry and prose and breaks into graphic novel um, halfway towards the end. Um, and it's about how we don't tell our stories alone, even if our names are on the front of the book. Um, our journeys um, have been created by so many people, and we've been helped through by so many people. Uh, okay, so this is a uh, gay club, um, and in case it's not clear, it does contain LGBT themes. <laughs> so this charts the uh, race to be president of a school LGBT society. It's not a very popular club, there's only four kids in it. Uh, so Barney thinks he's uh, going to be elected president because he has 75% of the vote. That's all fine until his nemesis, Bronte, manages to open up the voting to the entire school. And now everyone's voting for the LGBT society president. And that's when the gloves come off and the whole campaign kind of descends into backstabbing and bitching and assorted shenanigans as the really ambitious candidates try to uh, battle it out to win the presidency. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, a, a national uh, LGBT organisation announced they are looking for one school to be their global ambassadors for the year. Um, and that culminates in a very messy conference for the school clubs down in London, um, where it very soon becomes National Coming Out Day for Everyone's Secrets. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's great fun. <laughs> Hashtag great <Rachel> for <laughs> I loved all of these books. They were brilliant. Um, and it's a real honour to be on the panel for you all. So, starting the conversation, what would you say is the hardest thing about capturing the world we live in now in a novel? Um, and I'm going to start in the middle because I haven't yet. <laughs> well, I was just saying to Kate that um, when, when I was writing this book, like my family kept finding me at my desk going, I saw a guy who I was for dinner. Um, <laughs> um, but it was, it's because, because I think all of our work is kind of rooted into what it is like to move and navigate through these times for young people. Um, I, it, because this book has spanned a lot of my writing, um, I've also seen my own children grow up during that time, and I've seen, I've seen that this has been a very, very difficult place um, for young, and a time for young people to grow up in. And so it's kind of this overwhelming feeling at my desk of being in service to writing a story that's going to be able to not only talk about that, but kind of lift, lift the kind of 
agency of young people in the world that I kind of think has been absent. And so, you know, in this book, I've sort of given my, what has been for me the most extraordinary gift to express myself <coughs> in poetry and words and art, and I've planted it in this book. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, walking that tightrope, not, not turning away from the difficulty, but at the same time, giving something that is going to be kind of a gift. Um, I have to say, Little Tiger made this book, it's just quite a paper, but it, it feels, I really, I really love to hold it in my hands, and um, I think that, you know, when you're writing books, as we are, into these times when you know that there's, you know, many young people who are very vulnerable, um, it feels really important to give that gift in writing. Um, if, if, whichever one of you wants to go first, I feel like teacher. Whichever <laughs> one of you wants to go, I mean. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, I think for me, one of the difficulties was uh, how quickly the world seems to be changing at the moment. By changing, I mean getting worse in lots of ways, right? So I was writing gay club um, last summer. And certainly back then, there was, uh, I, was, there was a, I was definitely sensing, uh, in terms of kind of the, the dialogue about LGBT people um, on social media, things were kind of getting worse in many ways. There was a bit more abuse going on. But I could not have imagined how much worse it could have got in sort of 12 months' time when the book had actually come out. Um, and I think that's a very, uh, very upsetting and worrying thing about it. So, it, you know, it's, it's difficult to predict. You know, when I was writing this book, we weren't yet in a place where um, LGBTQ plus creators or teachers who were using LGBT materials in class, they weren't at that point being called groomers online on Twitter, you know? And now we're in a place where that is quite a frequent and regular occurrence, unfortunately. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to kind of predict at the moment where we might be by the time the book is actually going to come out um, and what kind of issues uh, the characters in your book are going to be dealing with. Um, because, yeah, I think it's really important that, that with this book, with Gay Club, um, I did want to show some of the stuff that LGBT students go through in school. My other books haven't really dealt so heavily with kind of homophobia and that sort of thing, but Gay Club does a little bit more. So keeping that relevant, and as Steve said, absolutely right, you also want to, uh, at the same time, despite all that, come up with something that is a gift, that is joyful, and that is also um, a, a good positive experience for your young readers. And that can be really hard when you're dealing with some of the crap that's going on, you know, in the real world, right? So it's, it's about balancing that as well, absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with both of you, and that's kind of what I was going to say as well. Um, and yeah, the, the whole world changing very quickly thing is definitely something that's because I started the first draft of this in 2019, and obviously, like, so much has happened since then. Um, and I can't even, like, imagine trying to pick up a book that I, like, started writing, like, many years ago. Um, and publishing it now, like, it's, it's just, yeah, the world seems to be just, like, hurtling. Um, and I think that balance between, like, uh, the light, lighter stuff and the darker stuff is something that um, like I, I'm really conscious of when I'm writing um, and I think as a writer you kind of have to decide <coughs> what, what kind of tone you want your book to be written in and 
I think, you know, Simon, I, I've read um, both your books and like Simon's book is incredible, like it's very funny and it's, it's definitely like a, quite a light book, but it, it also deals with lots of very difficult moments of homophobia. Um, and um, whereas I think Caesar's book is a little bit, you know, it, it's quite sad and very like heavy at times, but also still very like hopeful and uplifting and kind of working through that darkness. So I think that, you know, the, the hard part about capturing the world we live in now is that you obviously can't capture all of it and you have to kind of focus on what the story is you're trying to tell and what your aim is with it. Um, you know, um, like, I think there were some quite negative scenes that I did put in the book first that I ended up taking out because while I think they are realistic, I don't think they served the particular story that I was trying to tell here. And there's, you know, there are, there are other difficult things that are kept in. So I think it's just about, yeah, finding that balance, really. Yeah. yeah. And um, on some of the themes that we've talked about there, um, how do you think we can tackle the stigma around the um, LGBTQ plus, plus and or mental health conversations that we face? Um, I think I'll start with Simon, because I know <laughs> we've literally just spoken about it. So. <clears throat> I think, you know, I think the important thing is that it's talked about, you know, and I always say that on the school business I go into, the, the important thing is to uh, just talk about these issues with young people and with everyone, you know, it, there's never any harm in talking about things with people, that's not where the, the harm lies, it's in not talking, which, where the hurt occurs. Um, it's allowing people to sort of live in ignorance and fear, which is when the problems start. So I think the important thing is just being very open and very honest and having those open and honest conversations, especially with young people, especially in schools. And that's why it's so important that LGBT books are in school libraries. And we uh, resist any attempts at censorship and trying to remove them at any time. Uh, when certain organisations and pressure groups and sometimes parents sometimes uh, suggest that they have no place in libraries and they're you know, obscene, indecent, or in some cases hilariously pornographic. Um, <laughs> it's really important that that is existed. You know, young people need to see themselves in the pages of the book, they need to explore those ideas, see people in situations that are just like the ones they are going through. That's all great stuff. And, and be in an environment where, um, where all those things can be discussed openly and honestly and without judgment. That's what needs to happen, and we should fight to make sure that's what does happen. Exactly. And it's kind of mind-boggling that anyone would suggest it wouldn't be like that. Um, yes, Peter? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a really, you know, to tell stories is such a great gift in this area because it's your characters that can take the reader through through the nuances of, of you know, finding out who you are, finding out who you love, and there's a bit in um, When Shadows Fall where, um, where Orla um, um, is, is kind of feeling quite trapped in her relationship with Clyde and she goes away and um, she falls in love with Chitty and she comes back and he says, you found someone else and um, he assumes that it's another boy. Um, there are other friends out and she says, you don't know about me, I don't even know about myself yet. And I think that it's a real gift in, in writing, you know, into YA literature that you can show characters who are exploring and open 
uh, two readers who are exploring and open. Um, and I think, uh, so I just wanted to say with Simon, we had a discussion um, about the horrendous situation um, of, that you were received, uh, not received in seven Catholic schools mm -hmm. and the abuse that you suffered. And, and I, another story that I wrote called Zephyr Crossing Soul Song had incidental uh, representation of Lenny's dads, one of whom was Kwame and one of whom was David. And there was, and the one of the central characters was African Caribbean, and he was homophobic towards one of the fathers, and I was looking at intersectionality in that story. And that was one of the stories that was banned in the Birmingham school. So I just think, you know, for me, what I was wanting to do in that story is to write about the complexity of, of how people other each other, and how, you know, for me, one of the great gifts of being a writer is to, to be doing a kind of communal listening, and also saying, you know, some things I just need to listen and listen and listen and listen. I don't understand, but I want to listen. And you, you know, it, for me, it's all about characters taking readers on that journey. Most of the time, they don't ever meet me, but I want them to have that kind of opening in the way that we're not seeing society by reading the stories. Yeah, I think that, you know, that point you're talking about, about, you know, being able to show characters who are exploring and open um, is something that's really important to me as well. I think the world demands so much certainty from you sometimes about, you know, who you are, what your identity is, and if you're not certain, then you can't be that thing. But I think it's very important to keep telling stories where you're still figuring it out, you might not know, and that's fine, and you can still be who you are, even if that might change later on, that's fine. Um, there's nothing wrong with, you know, growing and thinking about things differently later on, doesn't mean you weren't the thing you were once. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really important, and just to keep telling these stories, even though there might be backlash, um, is what is all we can do as writers really and I think for readers just to keep you know talking about sharing these books with other people um, I think if you're an ally it, you can't underestimate the importance of reading books um, about experiences outside of your own and um, you know recommending them to other people and talking about them so yeah and I thought in your um, in your book if you still recognize me one of the things you did really beautifully was and, and it all felt so sort of natural and organic and was just so beautiful to read. I really loved it. Um, so then, without too many spoilers, um, I'm making it sound so exciting, like we're watching an action film. Yeah. No spoilers. Um, what do you think helped your characters get through the difficult situations that they faced? And I'm going to start with Cynthia. <laughs> Um, I think uh, for my characters, um, it's uh, very important to have, you know, friendships and finding people that they feel like they can be themselves with, that they feel like they can open up to, and um, uh, you know, for, for LGBTQ people, that's like really important um, to find a community. Um, and so I think in my book there's um, lots of older LGBTQ characters as well that um, the 
meeting these older, um, where people really love changes their, their lives. I think it's so important um, for us to have role models. Um, and um, also, yeah, I think fandom is such a big part of this book as well. And I think, you know, sometimes you can't find those friends that you need um, in real life in schools around you, but you can do it online, and that's amazing. Um, well, I think I think it's not judging. I think the uh, so, you know, Kai sets off to write his journal, be pretty sure that it's his journal, and then he realizes that because of the split that happens in him, that he actually can't tell his story. And being open to the people that can help him tell the story. So Omid, um, you know, who has been through incredible trauma coming from Syria, um, and with his aunt and arriving here and establishing himself in a new school. Um, he actually has, I wanted to create a character that actually is very central to the book. He actually is not a victim, refugee character, but his character is a survivor. And he has had a terrible journey, but he's very resourced in understanding trauma. And so immediately that he sees Kai, he recognises that Kai has suffered trauma, or is in the, in the middle of this storm of trauma. And so he draws for him, things that he thinks will help him see himself. And he says, when shadows fall, you stand beside. And that is, you know, for me, you know, that is the big kind of core of this book. It's about incredible young people and older people, but young people really, um, seeing each other, not judging, um, and then older, uh, teachers, other people, educated parents, not turning their back um, on teenagers because they may, you know, have addictions. They may have. It, it's about that. Not being afraid to say, you know, this is our community. It's set um, in a patch of land which is under threat, which is kind of with these ravens who are kind of symbolic of the young people's inner world. Um, they're not negative creatures at all. They are the importance of these young people having a land to grow in and on, and that that land should be nurtured. And this land in the story is under threat. Um, and I'm not just talking about the land, I'm talking about you know evolution and what, what an old generation should be doing for younger generations. The, um... I think the, the ultimate message of, of Gay Club is that uh, when discrimination is rife, we are stronger and better off when we stand together. And um, at the start of the book, the, the kids in, uh, in Gay Club, they are tearing each other apart with the election. You know, they are digging up dirt on each other, they're you know, dragging each other on social media. It's really messy and, and they're really attacking each other. Um, but during the course of the book, they come up against a number of things. One of them is um, a kind of online hate group called Family Alliance. Sort of probably actually exists, actually. But they're, they're like, you know, they're one of these organisations that like, they're all about the family. When someone thinks of the children, the LGBT people are awful, you know, it's that sort of set up, right? So they start sending abuse to, um, to the students in Gay Club and, and the other schools involved. 
But also, the other thing that happens in the book is, um, is people in the community tearing each other apart as well. So, you know, and that kind of, uh, for me, echoes a lot of the conversations that have been going on within the community in the last few years in some uh, quarters. So, um, really, the book is a journey for all of them in discovering that actually, you know, they're all ultimately fighting for the same thing. Um, they're definitely better off when they stand united together, fighting for that, looking out for each other, caring for one another, and being there for one another. And actually, in that sense, really, the inspiration for the book really came from um, all the schools I've visited in the last kind of five years since I've been doing school visits, and just meeting so many school LGBTQ plus societies, and just seeing what wonderful students were there how kind they were to one another, what they were campaigning for and passionate about, how kind of clued up they were about what was going on. Their sense of justice and making the world a better place was incredible, but also ultimately, they really seemed to care about one another and looked out for each other within the kind of school and wider community. I think that's a brilliant thing, and, and ultimately the book is a love letter to them, really. <laughs> I think Bronte is one of my favourite lovable um, villains because she's a bit of a villain. She is a villain. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I remember like the first thing you like read about her in that book. I remember thinking, oh yes, I'm gonna like you. <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to. But Like Omid in the book, 
and, and they are incredible young people who are going to go on to do amazing things in the world. And so that's just not a narrative that you're, you know, you're hearing in the national media, but it's something that you know if you engage. So engage, I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's incredibly important um, to, to engage, to, to find some kind of thing that you care about that, you know, it can be a small thing, but just anything where you're doing something positive um, can really, like, yeah, it doesn't have to be everything at all, but it really can make a difference to someone, to yourself. Um, and, you know, um, I work at... Um, um, uh, my day job is in quality, diversity, and inclusion. Um, um, we had an event recently with um, a charity called Opening Doors, which is for LGBTQ people uh, who are older than 50. Um, and basically, um, a bunch of their members came over and just like food and drink and just like chatted. Um, and it was really lovely. And I just think that, you know, despite yeah, everything awful going on, there are just like small things you can do um, that will make a difference to somebody. You know, that it's not like you shouldn't feel like everything's pointless just because there's all these big things happening in the world that you can't change. Um, it's funny because on it, I think it was around about World Book Day uh, a couple of months ago in March, and I was doing a school visit, and this year eight boy put his hand up in the Q&A and said, how do you deal with online hate? And I said to Larry, I said, oh, do you know, I don't think it's in it. Literally, I am inundated with abusive messages on Twitter and emails citing like Bible verses in length, you know, and going, stop writing LGBT books, you know, you stop recruiting, you know, kids into being gay, all this unmodesty. And, um, what I found is a few things actually. One is um, ignoring uh, the hate, obviously, not giving it the oxygen of any kind of publicity or, or thought or response, you know. Finding your people, you know, so people, you know, with basic common sense and a sense of decency, who just, you know, you can chat to and talk about it with, um, and, you know, who, who share your thoughts and support you and, and love you for, for who and what you want, and that's great. And also, do you know what the other thing, and this has always stuck with me ever since um, the kind of nightmare of me for secondary school, right? Uh, it's the power of laughter and of not always, you know, trying to see sometimes, even in the darkest moments, the funnier side of life sometimes. And I think that often are very big laughs, even in uh, life's darkest moments, quite honestly. And I think it's really important to try and look for those. Um, and kind of comedy and laughter was really how I got through the hell of secondary school and it was kind of armour in a way for me and protected me from the from some of the bullies because of how it made me think about the world and about me and it just made me feel better about myself basically. And so I think, you know, it is difficult sometimes to laugh at situations and yourself but I think sometimes if you can or you can find other people who can just have a bit of a laugh about it with you, that's a good thing. Fallout spells is always gym. <laughs> <laughs> Solid option. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would agree with that. <laughs> um, and then, did you learn anything from your characters while writing that's helped you? So, for example, while writing Cat in Diary of a Complete Feminist, I um, learned that I have OCD. 
which was an interesting self-discovery, which a lot of people around me went, oh really? You didn't know you had that already? <laughs> <laughs> so, that was fun. Um, so did, you, did your characters teach you anything?
you know. So um, it was really interesting for me to kind of, uh, it sort of forced me really to kind of really explore a lot of those, um, a lot of those issues and ideas, which I think was a really good thing, because uh, I'd never really done that in any depth before, in, in honesty. So I, I think that was a really nice thing as I wrote this book, to, to try and work out in my own head, you know, what I thought about it, and, and kind of almost changing my mind in a way as I was, as I was writing through and as the different characters were kind of exploring things for themselves. So that was very interesting. Um, so that, I think, yes. Yeah. And I loved the character um, Danny as well. So I was just giving it a five minute warning. Oh, five minute warning. Was it just winking at you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just someone gave me a five minute warning and I went, yeah, all right. <laughs> Trying to write it the wrong way, um, 
find something to kind of relax you, like, you know, if you can, if you have another hobby that you can work on. I think doing something with your hands is good, um, but, yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> yeah, good question, very good question. Tricky question. And the, the next question is just like that. Can I just say, it's soft, 
going back to your question about learning something, I really learned that about Orla in my story, is that she was really kind of, she was defending her right to not know in the story, and she felt a bit manipulated by Kai in the story, that he was saying, you know, I want you to be my girlfriend, or his, she felt like she, she was not going to say where, that she belonged anywhere. And I learned that from writing her character in the story. And one of the things that um, readers are really enjoying about the story is that it, it, it isn't necessarily a romance, but it's about the strong friendship bonds of young people growing up and uh, sort of navigating, exploring, and discovering, and not wanting to decide. So they're kind of they're always in transition in the book. I did that with um, with Cat and Tara because he's done this stuff shit in the book. He must do better. Um, this is a massive spoiler, but there's a situation where a, a bad um, group of Instagrammers catch her kissing, having her first kiss with a girl, and they put it out there and they're like, "Cat's a lesbian," and she goes, "Hang on a minute, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a lesbian." And these people are trying to get something out there, trying to get out of whether or not she's a lesbian or bisexual or what's going on. And it does, um, mm. at the end of the book, she does say, I still don't know. Mm. I don't know and I'm okay with that. I'm going to take my time mm. and I'm going to find out. Um, sorry, I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think in the, um, in, in the kind of field of LGBT books, uh, I mean, I, you know, I love um, a gay rom-com, obviously, but I think it's really important that um, other stories are told because, um, you know, while rom-coms are nice, it's nice to have a bit of escapism, um, it's, uh, it would be wrong to imply that that is um, an easy thing to happen for a lot of people or that it's the entire story. Um, and there's lots of other elements to the LGBT experience, which I think is really important for readers to discover and learn about and appreciate. Um, and it's, it's, you know, unfortunately it's not all kind of dreamy romance with a happy ending every time. I love that we have those books. It's important we do have those books. And escapism and, and you know, wonderful things happening to gay kids is really, really important. But also, on the flip side, there's lots of other stuff that goes on. Um, and, I, I mean, that was one of the joys for me about writing Gay Club, is that it's not really so romance-focused particularly. And actually, you know, I was able to explore more of those issues uh, this time, which is a good thing. So I think those books are really important, and I hope that publishers appreciate that as well. I know it's easy for them to sell a big gay rom-com, right? There's an audience for it, and they, you know, they often tend to work, and they make great adaptations. So there's reasons for that happening. But it's really important that um, we all show support for other books, and, and that publishers get behind those other stories as well. Um, so I'm hoping that is what we will uh, continue to see. Yeah, um, yeah I think, yeah, I, I completely agree. And um, uh, as someone who is demisexual as well, I, you know, I, I try to, I think I'm probably going to have, like, a character who's on the A spectrum in all my books, hopefully, if they let me keep writing. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think, for me personally, I do love writing romance. Like, uh, you know, I got into writing through fanfic, and so much of fanfic is romance. Um, and I really enjoy writing love stories. Um, but, you know, as a teenager, I didn't have, I didn't begin dating until I was like university. 
Um, and I think, you know, lots of my friends didn't start dating until later as well. And I think, you know, that's definitely important to recognize that, you know, not all teenagers are in relationships or want relationships. Um, so, yeah, definitely something that I think, um, you know, is important to explore in books and that I would like to write books about. I don't think we're allowed any more questions. I could have sat here all day, sorry. Um, thank you so much for joining us and thank you to my amazing just come out of the the world we live in panel and that was chaired by Kate Weston featuring um, Cynthia So, Sita Brahmachari and Simon James Green. Um, I thought that was really really good. What did you think? Yeah I enjoyed it a lot. What did you think like who, who was your favourite? Simon. Yeah he was really <laughs> funny. Um, talked about quite a lot of hard-hitting topics it was much more sort of I, I don't know hard, sort of My heart I, felt a bit like harder yeah, so they to read. Yeah, they covered a lot of topics that I didn't think they would. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot in there about LGBT um, rights and, and and all the crap that Simon's had to deal with lately. Yeah. Um, but it was really interesting, and I really liked the sound of all of the stories. So I've read all of Simon's books, but mm -hmm. there's I haven't read uh, Cita's yet or Cynthia's uh, or Kate's actually. So they all sound really cool. Yeah. Um, was there anything? Was there a particular question that 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 really that you really were interested in that, that they gave you the answer to, or uh, mainly just Simon's and obviously how how he used his own experiences to as inspiration really to to write about difficult things in his books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I thought it was really funny how he said. Um, uh, he always draws on his own inspiration, which is always the geeky gay boy who's just like sort of nerdy and trying to get through, trying to survive high school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. And then we have just got signings left now. Yes. So who are you excited to um, meet in the signing? I think you've only got Simon James Green's books. Oh, and Cetus yep. uh, as well. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to try and pronounce it. I think it's Brahmachari. Yeah. I think, <laughs> which I didn't say right in our intro, so apologies. Um, but yeah, so it's been a really fun day so far, and I think later we're going to do a wrap-up of all the books that we've picked up today, yeah. and just a quick rundown of everything that's gone on. Okay, cool. So we're just taking a, a quick break between panels, and we wanted to bring you some tips for attending your very first book festival. Sophie, what have you got? Find out where the food and drinks are. That is a very good tip. We did that first. <laughs> Um, I'd say bring water as well, just in case you can't find where the food and drink is, and yep. maybe bring snacks. Yeah, um, um, tote bags. Yes, we we bought how many between us? I've like eight, and, <laughs> and we got, got three ones. <laughs> yeah, we got some here. Um, bring your books to get signed, obviously. Um, wear comfy shoes and clothes. It's a lot of walking about. Um, what else? Um, what else? What arrive else? early just so that you can find car parking spaces if you if you and can buy to car. get freebies, yes. um, which we kind of missed out on today. Uh, well, we got we got, we got tote bags and stuff, but there weren't any arcs left when we got here. Yeah, so we didn't get any proof copies, but it's still been fun. Is that everything? Right. Okay. They are our top tips for attending a book festival. I'm here at the NYA Lit Fest with YA author Rab Ferguson. Rab is the author of Landfill Mountains. Rab, could you tell us a little bit about what the book is about? So Landfill Mountains is a book about a climate dystopia uh, in a world where storytelling is magic. So when you tell a story out loud, you change reality around you a little bit. 
That sounds fantastic. So what are your main characters and sort of what challenges do they have to go through? So the main character is a teenager called Joe. He is very sort of angry about the life that they live. So he, he sort of blames his dad for the fact that they've ended up at the landfill. Um, and then in a larger way kind of blames the generation before him for not yeah. looking after the world. Uh, and sometimes in quite a dramatic teenage way. That, yeah, uh, lots of but, anger. <laughs> but there is kind of real justification behind that as well. Yeah. So he's trying to survive in this world. Uh, and the way they survive is they, they climb the landfill mountains and they scavenge for waste to sell to passing drifters that come through and then sell that waste onwards. So yeah. their, their way of surviving is, is collecting rubbish that might be useful for something and then selling it onwards. And when they're collecting like this, there's an avalanche of waste uh, and a young girl called Lily uh, is caught in the avalanche and ends up becoming quite unwell. Uh, and he thinks that if he travels out to a sort of nearby city that you can see on the horizon at night, he might be able to find help for her there. Yeah. But when Joe travels out, the world becomes more bizarre and more story-like the closer he gets to the city. Yeah. Wow, that sounds really, really interesting. Um, so obviously you said it's based on climate change, so that must be a big part of your inspiration is, is sort of the way that the world's changing and sort of the, the down spiral that we're in at the moment. But were there any other inspirations in there for you? So storytelling itself is a big one. So I've been an oral storyteller in the past where I've performed in uh, well, libraries and theatres, uh, sometimes with children or sometimes with adults in places like pubs, yeah. um, and where I've been telling kind of myths um, or folk tales aloud and involving the audience in the telling of that story. And so that practice and what it feels like to be the person doing that and seeing people kind of get hooked into the story is what uh, inspired the kind of magic side of it. So the very real side is inspired by climate change, and then the magic side is inspired by how people react when they hear stories told out loud. Yeah. Uh, because I, the, I suppose the premise of the book is all storytelling is magic, but I do actually believe that in real life. Yeah. Because in storytelling you can change what people are thinking about or what they're imagining, and you can change their perspective on things. And what is magic but a strange force that makes changes. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the other big inspiration. That sounds amazing. I want to read it even more now. Um, so what are the main themes, then, of the, of the story? So you've talked about anger. Anger plays a big part in it, and you've talked about magic. Are there any other... Is there a main message or something that you really want to get across to the reader? So I think hope, actually, uh, because it is a story about climate change, uh, and it's... Being a young adult book, you know, it's for teenagers and it's all, also for adults that like to read those books, normally sort of in the 20 to 35 age bracket somewhere. Um, and I think those readers know the threat of climate change. So you don't need a book to say this is what the threat of climate change is because they already understand it yeah. and are living it. But if you can have a narrative that in some way shows how humans can manage things and survive things and have hope even in the direst of situations, yeah. I, I think that's the big theme really through it. And there's also a lot of love kind of between the characters. So there's Joe has um, a romance with the character Sonia. Um, and I tried to do something a bit different in the romance there in that they were sort of together from the start and it was about how 
with two people that want very different things because Joe wants to set out and try and find better things in the world and Sonia wants to make the place they live better how that sort of relationship can keep going yeah so trying to explore the relationship angle from from a bit of a different one than you normally see in YA yeah that's really interesting that isn't an angle that you usually sort of read about it's normally just the love story sort of the coming together usually yeah. first so I, I tried to do it the other way of what if people are already together but facing challenges yeah that's really good um so what if you could sort of give a tip or sort of one thing you want readers to take away in terms of sort of combating climate change or what 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 would you say Oh, that's a really difficult question. Um, I think going back to the idea of hope, it's, it's to keep going and to keep challenging things. I think for me what's key, and, and this is a theme that comes through in the book slightly, is that challenging climate change is about challenging corporations and the way um, the larger business of the world works. Blaming an individual doesn't really help. Yeah. You know, like with Joe and his dad, there's not individuals that are just normal individuals living their life and aren't super rich people <laughs> with control of everything I think are sometimes unfairly put to is you know everything's like oh you know as long as just everyone uh, washes all their um, milk cartons out then we'll yeah. be able to stop climate change and actually I think a lot of it distracts away from what we need to, to fight the narrative and get that just to say the way corporations are functioning the way places things like Shell are functioning yeah. just has to be fought against so yeah I guess um, don't be afraid to fight on the big picture side as well as the small picture side that's a lovely message I like that um, so what have you got coming up next what are you working on at the moment uh, so I've taken a bit of a turn to work for a younger age um, okay. so I've got a middle grade book coming out actually next month um, so on the 28th of June um, my middle grade book The Lake Crew is coming out that is a book about young carers uh, okay. So carers who look after or support family members who maybe um, might have uh, an illness or a disability or uh, might be struggling with their mental health. Um, and the idea is that they are the centre of the book and they get to be the heroes uh, and they get to have an adventure where they meet aliens. So <laughs> I was quite keen on it being, it, while it's a book about young carers, they don't s spend the whole time only focusing on me and Kara because it's also about them having the adventure too yeah. um, so they get, they should deserve to be, they get to be the hero as well if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And what was that called again, sorry? The Late Crew. The Late Crew. That sounds fantastic. So obviously we're at the NYA Lit Fest um, we talked a little bit earlier, you said this was your first in-person event, is that right? Yeah, so uh, Landfill Mountains came out in September 2021 uh, and at the time we still weren't doing much in terms of going to places just with the of fallout from the pandemic yeah. uh, so this is the first time we've managed to take the book somewhere and share it with people uh, and it's a very nice thing to do it's got a cover that tends to tend to draw people eye it definitely um, drew mine <laughs> yeah well people have come over and wanted to talk about it and a lot of people have you know taken the book away so that's been an amazing thing yeah and has it been great to sort of have that one-to-one -one connection with new readers and De like definitely because previously a lot of what we've done have been through online and and through online it one, you don't get to have that close connection, but also the people that have been picking it up online um, that I've managed to speak to tend to be people I already know, even if they're on, only people I know from online. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas today, people I've never met before and actually get to have... It's nice to have a human connection, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. We've missed it, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> so are you appearing at any other events coming up soon? or? So we're going to have a launch for the late crew 
um, which will be on the 25th of June, which is the, uh, the Saturday before it comes out, uh, which we're going to be trying to invite lots of people to that uh, may be linked with schools um, or librarians, that kind of thing. Um, so that's the next one, which is exciting. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. You're very welcome. Sophie and I have just left the NYA Lit Fest and we wanted to give you a quick rundown of the books we've bought today. So Sophie, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Um, so I got When Shadows Fall by Sita Brahmachari. Thank you. Um, Witches Steeped in Gold by Shannon Smart. Thank you. <laughs> and I also got The Empress Crowned in Red, which is the second book to Witches Steeped in Gold. Yeah, I saw that too. I didn't even Shannon Smart didn't, didn't know that it was out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I picked that up as well. Yep. Um, I also got Blood to Poison by Mary Watson. Um, Rebel Skies by Anne Salin. That's it. Um, I bought that one the other day, so I'm not going to mention that one. Um, you just did, technically. Okay. She was pointing to every line of you by Naomi Gibson. For yes. those of you who can't, <laughs> you know, see have a visual <laughs> viewing of the stack of books. Um, and then I also got Landfill Mountains by Rab Ferguson. You did. And you got a um, mystery book oh, yeah, because... You bought so many. You got a free mystery book from Ebb and Flow Bookshop, which was um, If Birds Fly Back by Carly Sorosiak. I'm it. trying to help you. I really am, but I'm not great with names either. I think I make it worse. <laughs> um, so I got um, A Throne of Swans and a Crown of Talons by Catherine and Elizabeth Corr. I also got We Are Blood and Thunder by Casey Lupo. I got Landfill Mountains as well by Rab Ferguson. Yep. And again, we already talked about the second um, Witch is Steeped in Gold book by Shannon Smart, which was Empress Crowned in Red. And then I also picked up Vampirates, which just sounds really fun. That's by Justin Somper. Um, and it's the first book in the Vampirates series, I think, which is called Demons of the Ocean. At least I hope it's the first book because there were so many of them. <laughs> I literally just picked up the first one in the pile. So let's hope so. Um, and then I got a free... Um, limited edition book proof um i think it's it came out a few years ago actually it's called um, the potion diaries by amy allwood i've not actually heard of it before the front cover's really cool though and it sounds cool um but yeah it's like a mix it's like princess diaries meets hunger games yeah. which i accidentally picked up because i thought it said vampire <laughs> diaries meets hunger games so that'll teach me for reading things properly um or for not reading things <laughs> properly as it were so yeah, we've got we've had uh, quite a few, quite a big haul today. Yes. I don't know how many books in total. Something like what is it like 10, 12, 15? Yeah, something, something like, that. like that. We have no room in the car. Anyway. No, we're currently like um, sort of stacked between stacks of books, so we're just sort of squashed in. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've just sort of finished. We've we've had our books signed. Um, we I, I got to catch up with the lovely Simon James Green who was on our podcast uh, last month and that was fantastic. It was really nice to meet him in person. I also met George Lester who was really fun. Um, really funny actually. He's, he was really great. Um, who else did I meet? Shannon Smart. She was absolutely lovely. Um, and I got to interview uh, Rab Ferguson as well which was lots and lots of fun. Um, Sophie got to meet Naomi Gibson, didn't you? Yep. And who else did you meet? You met um, uh, Sita Brahmachari. Yeah. Um, and she was really nice yeah, as well. Yeah, she was, yeah. And the panels were great. We had a lot of fun at the panels. Do you have any highlights from today? What was your favourite panel? Um, 
I don't know, that's quite a tricky one because I enjoyed them all because they're all obviously different in their own way. Yeah. And like obviously the questions that were asked. Yeah, because the first panel was very magic based and very heavily into to magic and stuff. And, and then the second one was contemporary with lots of LGBT themes and diversity yeah. themes. So they were all really good. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can't actually choose a favourite. I don't no, think either. I, li- I liked all of them. Um, and then obviously they had like the little, the individual stalls. And then you got the the bookstore. Yeah, so it was Ebb and Flow Books was the bookshop, and that they were really nice. Yeah. And they had quite a big selection of all the authors who were there today. Um, but yeah, there were loads of little craft stalls. I got like yeah. an enamel pin from one of them, and oh, I can't right. remember the names now. But we'll try and list them on the 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 blog post show notes and things. And um, but yeah, they were really fun. Yeah. And we will have pictures as well to go with this episode, so that it can sort of show you what it was like there and stuff. Um, but it's been a really, really great day. I've had lots of fun. It's been really nice to do this episode on the road or whatever, on location, it's in been person. It's very different, but very, it has. very fun at the same time. Yeah, and I feel like we've we've we sort of had a great day and had lots yeah. of... It's been different, but very, very fun. It was all really nicely um, spaced out as well, so you hadn't got like a lot of, of time... Like not an overly amount of time, like after each one, but it was nice to have a little break. Yeah, after each panel talk. it was because it was like you had come out of each panel. I mean, we didn't go to every panel. To be fair, I think there were back-to-back panels, but the way yeah. we did it, we sort of did one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and we had a bit of a break between the panels and the signings, so we could sort of chill out and look at the books and look at what was on, what was for sale, and yeah, just a really nice, nice day. So I think yeah. we'll definitely be back to the uh, NYA Lit Fest next time. Definitely. Okay, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Turn the Page podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening on. You can also head to myendlessshelf.weebly.com and subscribe to the mailing list so that you never miss an episode.